This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is... Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Same Hoodies podcast. Uh, you join us this week as I'm joined by Elliot from Arsenal Vision to talk about Arsenal's return to the Premier League on the Guna Talks Less Talk Arsenal show. How are you doing, mate? You good? You well? I'm doing well. I, I, I love being twinsies with you. That was a goal for me for a long time. And I just, I'm so glad that I've achieved that goal. So that's what I'm here, yeah. here to say. That's about it. <laughs> genuinely this wasn't planned uh there was a sense of panic and uh you know I'm, I'm one of those people that you know because i i often wear all saints t-shirts and a lot of people in my friendship group have the same all saints t-shirt so whenever i tend to go out and see them wearing the same t-shirt it's a it's a scary situation so i often wear like a shirt over the t-shirt so i Just can know it's a way possible i will avoid that but you've gazumped me here yeah i would say so the combination of my age and lack of fashion sense is such that if you ever find yourself wearing what I'm wearing, like you should immediately deactivate all accounts and exit public life forever. So yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> How are you though? You good? You well? I am. Yeah. Can't, I can't be better. I, on Sunday we rescued a dog. So we have a new wow. puppy in the family waffles and uh, waffles is doing yeah. great. And puppies are more work than children, but it's worth it. Was there a temptation to have an Arsenal related? I know James's dog's Rocky, I think. Um, so not I think dog, that's a double. Child. That's a double thing, right? For his his grandfather also, or his child. His child is Rocky. His child, yes. That's no, what it is. Yeah, is dog, human child, same same thing, really. Um, what I would say is, it, it occurred to me, but he had a name, and I feel like you're rescuing a dog. It's going through a lot of change. You want it to be as you know as happy and thriving as possible and so since it seemed to know its name already we we just felt that it was best to mm. to leave it at that yeah no fair enough uh well i hope you enjoy it um i wish you- i wish i could have a dog sadly allergies prevent me from that um but uh yeah certainly still the family have plenty of them so i'm around them <laughs> all the time still with suffering when i'm in uh when I'm in London, uh, not this weekend, but next weekend, hopefully we'll get together and I will bring you a Ziploc bag of his fur and, and rub it against your your skin and your nose and things. And 
Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the missus tries. She says, "I sees like anti-allergenic dog." She's like, "Rub that against your face now. See if it works." So. <laughs> is that uh, what we'll she says to rub against your face? Is the dog? The do yeah, the less okay. about that, you know, the nice. better. Just, uh, <laughs> that's cool. Probably nothing else. Yeah. Um, what isn't, you know, what we aren't suffering with at the moment is uh, is is positivity around Arsenal because since you know we've been able to bask in the glory of a fantastic win against Manchester City over the international break. I know the international break it tends to be kind of like you know. This, this period of frustration and boredom. And, and, and to a sense, it has been in some ways. I've really taken the opportunity for a bit of a break. But um, I think that what I'm most intrigued about is the fact that this might be the most opportunistic international break in potentially Arsenal's history to kind of recover from injuries and knocks and get players like Martinelli and Partey ready for the return. I mean, as international breaks go, it probably was time better than any other. Yeah, I think um, I think it's perfect. It, it is beautiful to go in international. I, like we should petition to have all international breaks kicked off by beating a Manchester based football club. Like I would be fine with that. That's twice this season we've done it. And I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed the, the season so far as a result of it, by the way, I want to thank the disco boys. The disco uh, is our, our discord for, uh, for our podcast. And they, they always show up in numbers and cause havoc. So thank you to the disco boys. And, and uh, here we go. So yeah, there you go. Disco boys up. Um, yeah, I'm enjoying the season. Like, I, I think what's interesting is how results impact everything you think about a season. That's obvious, but it is, it is on a razor's edge, isn't it? I mean, the absolute width of a human hair of an offside call against United and a ricochet off a face against City is the difference between us being top of the table and feeling like we could go on and do everything this season and potentially very different outlook on where we are. So I'm incredibly happy while being cognizant of the fact that there's probably more we need to do in terms of elevating our level if we want to kick on from the great position we're in and really consolidate at the top of the table. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to obviously seeing what Arteta might do with, you know, arguably for the first time this season, everybody bar, you know, Timber, who haven't really felt like a part of the squad because of the injury happening so early, but... You know, we're yet to see Partey, uh, no, he said Jacket, and Partey, Rice, <laughs> and Erdegaard in the midfields, and Jesus, Saka, and Martinelli join forces in, in attack. We've not had the benefit of that with Jesus at the beginning of the season, and, and Partey obviously then having his injury as well. Going into this game against Chelsea, though, how much of what we did and how we did it against City do you think plays a part in the look ahead to a game against, you know, historically? a team that is supposed to offer you a relatively high amount of threat? Hmm, interesting question, because I, I think it should give us a lot of confidence. Of course, of course it should. We beat the best team in the world. I think the issue, if you look at that game, is it was extremely tactical, extremely, I would say, cautious by both teams, right? Not wanting to be exposed, not wanting to have space exploited. There were a lot of moves and counter moves in that game. And while I don't think it was a classic for the neutral, the hipster tacticos will have loved it. I, I don't think a lot of teams are going to be able to do what City do and sort of in terms of jousting with us and, and matching us space for space, zone for zone. But other teams may try to be a little more direct with us, right? And try to attack us with pace and tempo when they turn the ball around. And we saw against City, I think the only period where we looked a little vulnerable, ironically, was the period in the second half where we did press quite intensely and they were able to get a little bit of a run at our back line. So 
I don't know that the City game is representative of the other kinds of challenges we'll face, including Chelsea. But what's interesting about Chelsea, the underlying metrics would tell you Chelsea have a lot of the ball. They concede very few opposition chances, and they create quite a few themselves. They just haven't been excellent at finishing them off. They look a little bit City-esque in terms of some of their underlying metrics, the way they possess the ball, the way they try to control things. But they're not nearly as good. And I think a team that tries to do that against us that isn't at City's level is going to get slapped. Um, you know, PSV tried to play a little bit of football with us and, you know, that didn't go so well for them. So I like the the challenge against Chelsea. And I think with the injuries that they have in particular, there are vulnerabilities in their back line that we should be able to exploit, is my belief. There, there is some suggestions coming out today that Reese James and Axel Dizazi have trained. Um whether or not that will matter, James has won one of four attempts when he's played against Arsenal. Um, Dizassi, of course, has not played uh, yet, unless it was in a friendly. Um, I don't know if he was involved in the friendly. I don't know if he'd moved to Chelsea by that point in the summer. I think he had. Um, but uh, certainly, it's it's still always... You never know what's going to turn up when, when Chelsea play. You never know who's going to turn up in the starting eleven because there's just so many to choose from. But Arsenal's starting eleven has been relatively predictable besides the the injuries that have caused more debates about who should come in for, for those that are out. But with Martinelli, you know, returning and now back to full fitness, there's still, I guess, a question mark about Saka. But you would hope with the temptation Arteta had to include him against Man City that a couple of weeks off may hopefully be enough to, to see him recover. But we'll hear from the manager on on Friday in his press conference to, to get the details on that. But, you know, Gabriel Jesus obviously available. We know that Thomas Partey has been involved. Uh, a friend of the show, Mike McDonald, I saw was at the USA Ghana game and spoke to, to Partey and, and tweeted out, I saw, saying that... Uh, uh, that he said he was fully fit. So that's uh, that. a positive. Um, I love it. Mike there. <laughs> exclusive. Yeah. From, from <laughs> exclusive. It, um, it is literally good. exclusive. <laughs> yeah. um, that midfield trio, because, you know, Arteta was experimenting, if you like, frustrating some fans with Partey playing right back. Do you see him bringing Partey back into the midfield or do you think he'll return to that frustration that supporters hoped would end when Partey was at right back? Well, we could see Partey at right back if Mikel feels that Gabriel isn't ready to come back into the team coming back from South America, um, that would be a situation where I think he could do it. I don't think, I don't think we'll go back to what we saw at the start of the season where he would do it as just a tactical selection. Or if you don't think it was a tactical selection as a result of Gabriel's head, getting he, uh, his head turned by Saudi Arabia. Um, no, I, I, I think in, in all likelihood party will, will start from the bench. And I think given he's coming back from the USA, um, that's probably not a bad idea. But if Gabriel is not available for selection, would he consider going with Tomiyasu in the back line or, or even Kibio in the back line? Or then would he opt to go with party at right back and, and go with what we did to start the season? We haven't done it in a while. And I don't feel that we looked so comfortable doing it that, that we'd go right back to it with no, there's no time to practice, right? Either there's no, there's no training to say, hey, we'll get a few training sessions under our belt in that formation, in that setup, um, to prepare for the game. So I, I doubt he would do it. I think the midfield I'd be ready to see is Rice Party and Odegaard in this game. I think Rice Party and Odegaard for the big games is the one I'd love to see in general. He may say, you know what, I'm going to run it back like I did against City. Jorginho, Rice, and Odegaard. And, and keep Party in reserve like he did against City, given where he's traveling from. A, a lot of this, I think, hinges on... Again, Gabriel's fitness coming back from South America, Party's fitness coming back from uh, the U.S., but it would not surprise me if the midfield 
was the one that he went with against City again, yeah, or, or party in for Jorginho. It would be interesting to see. I mean, Jorginho done a lot of media, of course, whilst uh, not being in the, the Italian national side and talking about, you know, how much he kind of loves being at Arsenal at the moment. And it's very timely considering it's going up against his former side. And, you know, I, I think Jorginho in particular has been a player that when he was signed, obviously, there was a lot of, I guess, disappointment, not because of him as an individual, but more so because it was all this build-up around Caicedo, you know, in that January window. And then it ended with Jorginho as a player that we know Arteta has appreciated for a really high amount of time. And yes, he had that mistake, as we've talked about on our morning shows about the, the North London derby era. But I thought he, he came into that City game. Yes, he got that early booking, but you never felt like he was playing like a player on a yellow card throughout the fixture and, and dealt with that really well until Partey came on to to influence things the, the way that he did. The other obvious player that has their links, the narrative is, is Kai Havertz as well. He's returning. Um, have you seen the, the social media debates amongst Chelsea fans, whether they should boo him or not? Have you seen this? Um, yeah, I love it. I hope they, I hope they boo the absolute crap out of him. And then he does the out of by or knee slide uh, in front of the home fans. Indeed. Um, uh, would you, if, if say Saka isn't ready and, you know, Nketiah started with Jesus against City and I'd probably expect that to maybe be the case again here, but would you be tempted to use Havertz instead of Nketiah? All right, look, there's a time for truth and this is that time. Mm. I just, I am just ready to see us try something other than Eddie Nketiah up front. I just am. Mm. I mean, he started seven of eight Premier League games. Whatever you think of him, whether you think he's pretty solid or less than that, Eddie Nketiah is not the guy who starts every single game for a team with title aspirations. And I think the problem is you keep saying, oh, well, we're getting the result. We're getting the result. It's fine. We're getting the result. We've seen this before. You do something until it costs you. And then once it costs you, you say, oh, you know, why, why did we stick with that? The ideal thing to do is make the change before it costs you. And I just think Eddie, Eddie's a, a member of the squad who has a lot to contribute this season and already has, but I think you've got to start Jesus up front if there is any possible way to do it. And if that means Martinelli off the right and Trissard off the left, I would do it. If it means Havertz through the middle and Jesus, I realize that that wouldn't be Jesus through the middle, but if it has to be Havertz, Martinelli, and Jesus, you could do that if Saka's not fit. But my priority would be getting Jesus back in the center. Yeah. If not, I would go with Havertz. And again, love Eddie, academy player, brilliant to see him play for England, achieved far more than I thought he would a few short seasons ago. But let's make that change before we pay a price, not after. Yeah, no, I, I, I do absolutely agree and think that, you know, the idea of Jesus through the middle should be a priority. I would say that I kind of like him on the right as well. Yeah, I think he succeeds there. He had a lot of success there at City as well. And um, if you are to play a centre forward with him, I think that Havertz meshes quite nicely because of the way in which he interlinks play and Jesus and him playing off one another, you know, is, is it something I want to see more of uh, in, in a forward position, not necessarily Havertz playing from the midfield role. Just I think it would... Uh, the cohesion is is there a lot more. Uh, thank you to everybody joining us in the chat box, by the way. I can see Clive, of course, Harry as well, Harry Simi. Make sure you're checking out Chronicles of Aguna if you haven't already. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing kind of the, the, the Chelsea records again continue because there's something about last year's game 
I remember listening to your show, I think, after the after this fixture last year. Mm. Of the and Clive, I think it was, you know, not to big Clive up any more than he needs it. Um, but <laughs> it was Clive that spoke about, I think, the difference about this fixture. This wasn't a Stanford Bridge visit where Arsenal you know, showed their metal in a 2-2 draw that required hitting them on the break with a Martinelli sprint or, you know, Eddie Nketiah latching onto an Andreas Christensen mistake and, and then a Bakaya Saka penalty late on. This was a game last season where Arsenal dominated, controlled things, kept Chelsea at arm's length and took an opportunity when it came and then saw the game out with little to no threats from the home side. And that game, to me, symbolised the biggest turning point, the biggest shift, if you like, of emphasis in London in particular, but also emphasis of Arsenal no longer going to big six away sides and coming away with a terrible record. And do you feel like we need to, if anything, take that game one step further this time and show that we're not only there to keep Chelsea at arm's length, but we're there to kind of put them in their place, if you like. Well, I mean, of course I want to put Chelsea in their place. They're a rotten club and they deserve to be put in their place. And their place is like League Two. Okay, so yes, I would like to see Chelsea put in their place. By the way, are you having any issues with my internet? Because I I see you are... Probably mine. Kind of bit robot. Okay, good. Probably so as long as, I, as long as I'm coming through, that's really what's important here. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I think you have to be careful about saying that, right? We play a dominant type of football. We are going to try to have the ball, try to push you back, press you, possess it, keep it in your final third. I think our way of playing football will naturally put teams in their place if they're not up to the challenge. And very few teams are going to be up to that challenge. So I think you go in and you don't treat the game any differently than you would. I think you go in and you treat Chelsea as a team that you you can go play your football against. You know, there are certain teams like City where you might make some adjustments to how you want to approach the game. I think with this Chelsea team, you can just go play football the way you want to play it. And the interesting thing with Chelsea, right, is other than the Liverpool game on the opening weekend of the season, which was a very strange game, a low-quality game between two teams that looked very underbaked, um, they haven't played anybody in the league. And so I did mention their underlying metrics being reasonably good um, so far this season, but their underlying metrics are reasonably good against, you know, Burnley and Fulham, and they lost to Villa at home, uh, Bournemouth and Forest and Luton, right? So, and they lost to West Ham. So when they played anybody of any renown or merit, they've, they've really not performed. I think as long as we play our game I, I would expect that they'll get put in their place just naturally. But you do want to be careful, right? When you go into a game with the point-to-prove mindset, I think you can let emotion dictate your performance in a way that isn't necessarily productive. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And, you know, I think that there, there's always this build-up of expectation, especially I think I feel like the Man United effect is often one. The amount of times we've played Man United and fans have gone, this Man United team are terrible. They are awful. And they're right, they are. They are awful and they are terrible. But there's always something that holds us back from battering Manchester United like we see other teams able to do and take advantage of their their weaknesses. I'm not sure. Can I say why. one thing about that, though? Just mm. one thing about that, because that is an example of where I think Manchester United are going to beat some big clubs this season. And they're going to yeah. lose to some bad ones. Because I do think that as bad as they are, the thing they still possess is a unique set of talents for counterattacking and playing direct at pace. Hoyland can, you know, can run. 
Rashford can run. They're good on the counter. Bruno's a good distributor on the counter. So I think United are a weird one because the weaker they are and the more you feel like you can get at them, the more you open yourself up to the thing that they're still pretty decent at. I don't think that's necessarily the case with Chelsea. No, I think that's a fair point. Uh, I wanted on this show not only to discuss the, the Chelsea game, but also kind of the, the series of fixtures that we've got during this period of the season until the next international break. It is the first time, I think, this season that a, a section of the season between two breaks features no midweek break whatsoever. And Arsenal will play a game every single midweek. We've got Chelsea then severe in midweek. We've got then the game against Sheffield United at home before playing the Campbell Cup match at West Ham. We then travel to Newcastle on the Saturday from that Wednesday game, which is not much recovery time at all for a big long trip up north. Following that Newcastle game, we've got a home game against Sevilla on the 8th of November before finishing this run of fixtures at home to, to Burnley on the 11th, which is, again, only three days um, after that uh, Sevilla game. How do you feel about where the squad's at? And do you feel like this period will be the biggest test so far this season? I think the squad's in a really good place for this run. I think we it comes at a good time, assuming that Saka is on the mend. Party looks like he's going to be ready which he hadn't been. We've seen that we can rely on players like Jorginho and Tomiyasu and Kivior to some extent. I think, you know, we now have Jesus and Martinelli back in and Trissard can play. And, you know, I think Kai Havertz's role is still evolving, but certainly uh, using him, if we have to use him up front in particular, I think that's certainly feasible. An interesting player that I'll be curious to see if this is the period where he starts to be involve himself more thoroughly as Emil Smith-Rowe, uh, right? I think everybody would like to at least see if he can break in and get a chance. So I think the squad is uniquely prepared and capable to handle this kind of run. And and I'll be very curious to see if Mikel tries to trust the squad a bit more. Losing in lawns puts us in a slightly precarious position in terms of how we might need to approach Champions League because had we beaten lawns, we'd already have a pretty commanding lead at the top of the group, um, which would allow us to maybe be a little bit more freewheeling with the lineup we use away at Sevilla, for example, but with Sheffield United at home the week on the weekend, like I'm, I'm not as concerned. I mean, the concern with Sheffield United is that I will be there. Um, and that is of course a concern. Uh, having said that, I want to say that I was there for the Bournemouth victory last season. I was there uh, yeah. on the final day, the last two seasons, both of which were hammerings uh, against Everton and Wolves. So I'm not super nervous. But the really big thing in Mikel's mind should be a great performance against Sheffield United. That should be primary in his mind because it is uh, when I will be there. But no, all kidding aside, Tom, like the, the squad is in really good shape for this run. And, um, you know, it only takes one game to lose four players. But, but, but as it stands right now, I think we're, we're really well suited to handle it. My hope is that Mikel will trust in a little bit of rotation because he, he has the people, to, he has the players to do it with. He absolutely does. Um, it, when we've had these kind of issues at the beginning of the season with it being Jesus' knee and then Partey's um, groin issue, I think it was, and uh, obviously Trossard had an issue before this international break and, and before that as well with two separate hamstring issues. Whether We don't have an update, by the way. I did see someone in the chat box ask, is there any news on Trossard? Again, I'll, I'll point you towards uh, Mikel Arteta's press conference on Friday, which is set to take place, we sure. We'll hope for some 
news but whether or not he tells the truth is another thing entirely <laughs> yeah. uh, and whether or not we see them in even with the squads traveling for the game doesn't mean that they're even going to be in the squad either so uh we won't really know until we see the lineup i suppose on on saturday but uh one of those games in particular in this run that west ham away fixture i think something that me and you share Elliot, is um a joint i don't know the right way of putting this it's kind of a joint okayness with being knocked out of the Carabao Cup that I I often struggle with my chat box to get them on board not that I'm really campaigning to to leave the competition but um, I just look at that tournament and think the the only benefit of this is if you win it and the chance of and even then yeah (laughs) even then I mean who cares that Man United won it last season I don't I'm not sure their fans care right now based on how their club is and the state of their club is that they won the Carabao Cup last season. So you would never take. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And the same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with Mook Delivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The season they had last season over the season we had. Not in a million years. Not in a million years. Uh, And yet, I know that some listeners to the channel would have because we we did that exact poll and I know people voted that they would have swapped seasons to have the trophy. So I know there are fans out there that think differently and, and they're entitled to that view. But how would you look at that West Ham game, which is obviously sitting between a home match that sadly now we've just learned is is you know really frustratingly underlined by your presence, um, but also is uh, preceding the, the trip to Newcastle, which is only three days after that. You again go with the Charles Sago Juniors of this world. Do you throw in basically an entirely switched eleven for this game? Yes, yes. I think risking Sago Juniors is too aggressive. We should do a deeper round of of cuts and rotations. No, I mean, look, you never want to lose. The one thing that I think people believe is that playing a weakened squad is the same as wanting to lose. You know, Arsene Wenger famously played kids in the Carabao Cup. He didn't want to lose. Some of my favorite Arsene Wenger memories during those not great seasons were the kids playing in that cup. That was fun. We got to learn a lot about some young players, right? Uh, Chips Vela, things like that, you know, come to mind. We had a, yeah. was it 7-5 against Reading? Shamak hat trick or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Time, I think like Shamak got that chip as well. Lots of chips yeah. in these Lots games. Lots of chips. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a fish and chips <laughs> kind, of, kind of competition. But like, I think... I look at it this way. I might have a slightly different view on the Carabao Cup if it wasn't for the format. The the two-leg semifinal in January, right before the Champions League knockouts comes back, and then a final that causes you to move a fixture around and likely have fixture congestion in April when the season is winding down. And, oh, by the way, you may have Champions League you know, quarter semifinal obligations if you're lucky. I just don't think the juice is worth the squeeze. I think 
it it is just too big a risk to the things that matter in your season. And I guess what I would say is this. If we won the League Cup, but finished like a distant fourth in the league and didn't get out of the Champions League group, no one's going to say, oh, well, it was a great season because we won a cup. The fact of the matter is the League Cup won't change whether we view the season as a success or not, in my view. I don't think, let's put it this way, had we won the League Cup last season, I don't think anyone would have been less heartbroken about not winning the title. Right? I just don't see what it saves. I mean, Manchester United won the League Cup. They lost to Liverpool 7, was 7-0? Seven like, yeah. would you take a League Cup and a loss to Spurs 7-0? Because I know I wouldn't. Right. It's just, no. I don't see what it fixes, but I do. I guess what I can say is I can see how it can break your season. It could break your season with that two legged semifinal in January and a final during a critical period of the season, but I don't see what it can save in your season. And so to me, the risk isn't worth the reward. And oh, by the way, we have a deep enough squad now where there are some players like Smith Rowe, like Reese Nelson, who deserve a chance to play in it. Kivior, let him play in it. Sure, let's bring in. You know, I mean, if you want to play Ethan Winery in there, or if you want to play Sago Jr., or you want to play Miles Lewis Skelly, like, I don't see what's so wrong about that because as we get better and better, it's going to be harder to find opportunities for those players to get their first team debut anyway. So use it for that. And like, we don't even have to look back that far because two seasons ago, Tom, if you remember, we did have a two-legged semifinal against Liverpool. In yep. the season, we should have beat Spurs to four. And it caused, among other things, I think we had a red card against Shaka. I think we lost Thomas Party to an injury. We wind up going to Burnley after that second leg with, or between the legs with no Shaka and no Party, and we lose. And if you just reverse that result, we finished top four that season ahead of Tottenham. So you can tell me that winning things is the point, and I agree, but it's winning the things you care about, and I'm not willing to risk it. I'm just not willing to risk it. Sorry, that was a bit of a monologue, but, you know. Oh, that's fine. Um it's fine because I agree with every single ounce of it. Um, I especially like the point about at what point does a Carabao Cup victory make your season a success? And I don't think there's a mm -hmm. position in the league where I go, oh, yeah, suddenly that season is a success because we've lifted the Carabao Cup. I, you know, uh, if Arsenal miss out on the Premier League by a point, but we won the Carabao Cup, do I think it's any more of a success than than if we didn't win it? And I mean, by a smidge. <laughs> you know, no, no, I'm going to be still gutted that we that we missed out on the league at, at that point. Um for the last 15 minutes of the show, we're going to jump into the chat box and, and take your questions. So uh, do get them in. Thank you to those that have already been throwing them into the chat box. Really appreciate uh, that. Um, Tom SG says, hypothetical question. You have the chance to guarantee one player from this squad plays with us until they retire out of Sackett and Saliba, who he assumes will be one of your choices. Who do you choose and why? Can I tie them together? <laughs> can I, can <laughs> I somehow bind them to one another? I don't think they're so, going to be as effective on the field if you do that. <laughs> okay, so I'll answer it this way. Emotionally, it's Saka, mm. right? Academy kid, everything he means to the club. Like, yeah, Saka. Intellectually, I might say Saliba mm. simply because I think you can go out and find attackers if you're willing to spend you can go out and buy an attacker to do the stuff Sack is going to do. I think finding a central defender who's maybe the best in world football, both at defending and at ball, you know, playing the ball out from the back and progressing the ball, there's no guarantee that player's out there. And if you sign him, there's no guarantee it'll work. You know, we've seen a lot of clubs spend a lot of money on center backs that didn't work. Manchester United and Harry Maguire comes to mind. So I would go with Saka emotionally because of my love for the player. But I think 
the likelihood that you can replace what Saliba will be is lower than the likelihood you could replace at least most of what Saka provides. So I'd, intellectually, I might have to say Saliba, as as crazy as that sounds. No, I think you spoke exactly the answer I would have given. I, I've talked before about how I see, you know, if you talk about the Messi's Ronaldo's and you think about, you know, the caliber of player that they were, I genuinely look at Saliba as a centre-half potential player to reach that kind of level for his position based upon his potential. Because I think he's that good. I think he's he's got better potential than than even a Van Dyke, than a Vidic, than a Ferdinand. I think he can get better than these guys. So, yeah, without a doubt, keeping him. And I think that he's harder to keep as well, based upon the length of the contract he signed as well. Clearly, there's... Yeah. I think, you know, I think one day I would predict, fairly be comfortable predicting that you see him in a Real Madrid shirt, potentially. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I don't want it to happen, but I think that's probably what will. Um Let's go to Daniel Hesse. He says, is there a, a potential for the Chelsea game is one of those that Paul refers to as a certain type of game, a slip game or something. I believe he's referring to the trap game. Is Chelsea a trap game? And I did see a question earlier on that said, can you explain what, what, what a, is trap a trap game is? Yeah, It's so easy. I've explained it a million times. Why does no one understand it? Because <laughs> I've never explained it well. Look, you want to know what a trap game is? It's the Lons game. The Lons game was a trap game, right? It's the game before the big game that you are expected to win comfortably. And because your eye is on the big game that follows, you wind up playing poorly in the preceding game and lose it or drop points, right? So if we played Burnley at home after loss, you might see a different performance at Lons and we might go ahead to win it. But because we played City and we had an eye on it, Maybe you take your eye off the ball in the midweek game. So the trap game is the easy game preceding a hard game or big game that you don't bring the proper focus and performance to. So which game are we wondering is a slip game, trap game? Which was the one? So it'd be Chelsea. Chelsea was the one that was asked whether it's a trap game before the away. No, right. So, so no. So a big game is never a trap game unless you mm. don't regard Chelsea as a big game. <laughs> but I would say Chelsea's a big game. No, uh, a big game would never be a trap game. I guess I'm trying to think of a trap game we have coming up, and I don't remember the fixture list well enough. But if you find a midweek game that precedes a big game at the weekend, like the Lons game, that the Lons game I think is the quintessential trap game. Uh, do you think Havertz has been improving? Says Bizarre. No, uh, no, I don't. I I don't think he's been improving but I also don't think he was as bad as people thought he was. Yeah. I think Havertz has been steadily providing an underwhelming but acceptable level in that he's playing the ball, <laughs> he's keeping the ball, he's tracking back, he's doing some defensive work, he's keeping it ticking over, but he's just not quite effervescent out there, is he? He's not striking it with conviction. He's not finding that critical killer pass. I mean, he... He's had a few moments where he could have an assist here. Then I mean, he had the assist, obviously, for the big winner against City. And, and I love that. I actually think if you watch that moment back, Tomiyasu wants to head that further ahead of Havertz. And if he does, it's Havertz 1v1 with Ederson to win the game against City. And boy, would that have been an yeah. interesting moment. Um, he got the penalty, which is great. But then I think didn't really kick on from that in any material way. My, I guess my issue is because I'm a little bit higher on how he's been playing, I can honestly say I don't think he's improving. I just, I think he's been, meh, he's been fine. And fine is not what we were hoping for. And I think the weird thing is he's been fine at the stuff we thought he might not do well, dropping in to receive. And 
keeping it ticking off. He's playing 40 plus passes a game. It's not like he's not involved. It's the stuff we hoped he would do, which is make the attack go bang. That hasn't happened. Now, my one caveat is let's get Martinelli, Jesus, and Sack out there. And then let's just see if he can spark off of Jesus a bit more. You know, Inketi is a little more off the ball. He's a little more running behind. Maybe Jesus and Havert spark off each other a little better. But right now, if you ask me where Havertz should play, I think we're starting to move towards a period where Havertz is a better option as as a striker, rot, a rotating striker option than what he's done at left eight so far. But still, still a lot of time to figure it out. Yeah, I, I think that I really hope that kind of that that the assist against City brings the confidence. I agree. With you. I did a phone in show um, before the international, before the Man City game, and there was a caller that, that stuck with me called Justice who came on and just like he doesn't do anything. Like he's just really getting frustrated. It doesn't. And I, I trying to bring you know objectivity and groundness to it is that he does things. He's just not. And I think the frustration for a lot of fans is he's not. He's not the dynamic player that maybe I've seen so many compilations made of his time at Bayer Leverkusen over this international break and kind of a, a manifestation, if you like, to try and get that into reality. And I, it's clearly there. And it's not like we're talking about a 28, 29, 20, 30-year-old Havertz that did this when he was a kid. We're talking about three years ago, you know, when he was at Leverkusen, when he was in his yeah. early 20s and his teens doing these things. If, if he finds his groove... I feel as though we can really see something special with him. It's just about extracting that and whether or not the work, the, the risk pays off. Um, go on. Did you want to jump no, I was just going to say, this is the thing. I, I think we've gotten six out of tens from Havertz. So I think mm. he's been fairly consistently okay. Like not yeah. what I hoped for remotely, but the problem is there are some people that think we got three out of tens. And so six out of 10 looks like improvement. Mm. I just, you know, I think it's pretty linear. Yeah, I think that... The calls that he's been terrible. I think he's had four games. I think about the Man United game, didn't particularly like the performance. I think about um, you know, some of the performances there. But I've also thought that the Palace game was something that's been quickly overlooked. I really liked his contribution in, in, in that fixture. I thought he was good against City in the community. And, Shield. Could have scored a couple of times there. Uh, and and where did he play in his good performances? He moved to center forward when we were down to 10 men against Palace. He played center forward in the Shield and he played yeah. center forward at the end of the City yeah. game. So, you know, something to think about. I just don't. Do you think that Arteta needs to stop with the midfield thing? You've gone all Darth Vader on us, by the way. Um, I, I don't think he needs to stop yet, but kind of like my point about it's only when you're talking, don't worry. But, but kind of like, um, <laughs> but kind of like the Eddie point, you don't want to be in positions where you make changes after they've hurt you. You want to be in a position where you've made the adjustment before it hurts you. I think yeah. it's time for Eddie to rotate out of the starting lineup. I think Kai in midfield is not a thing we should stick with too much longer if the indications are that it's not going how we want before it does feel like it's costing us. You know, that's kind of where I'm at. Am I back? Am I okay now? Yeah, you, you sound amazing. The usual. So this is what, I mean. this is what nearly got me into the Apple store earlier. <laughs> Do it, man. Really frustrating. Um, got a couple more before we wrap up. Uh, Somnus Wanderers says, uh, could the Tenali ban bring the wheels off the Newcastle temporarily? Hmm. I, I hope so. Because mm. I have to kind of confess they're really very good, um, which is yeah. unfortunate. I've said this on our pod quite a bit, but like if they don't somehow shit away that Liverpool game where they were pretty dominant, but Darwin Nunez gets an unlikely brace down to 10 men playing from behind the narrative around Newcastle would be they're right there with the Arsenal's and Liverpool's and, and cities of the world as, as a challenger. 
but they don't win that game. And it, by the way, if that had happened, Liverpool might not be in that conversation. So that's how quickly one result can can change things. They've also lost to City at City, which everyone's going to do, but they did it without giving much away. That game was very tight and very narrowly contested. So, you know, if they hadn't played City, let's say they had played one of the bottom sides like Chelsea and beat up on them, they'd have three more points. And if they don't, let Darwin Nunez get a counterattack. And, ha- and I realize this is not how football works, but they're that away from being six points better off and right there in the title chase. Their, their underlings are good. They they beat PSG in the Champions League, which yeah. you got to at least tip you your hat to any team that does that. And so, yeah, I think my hope is that the Tonali thing could be a distraction or be a problem for them. They haven't really been able to play, um, who am I thinking of? Uh, um, Lester forward that they signed. Help me, oh. brain fart. Um Harvey Barnes. Uh, Barnes. Yeah, they they haven't had the chance to really incorporate him much yet. Joe Willick hasn't been playing a ton. So if Tenali goes out, maybe Willick gives them a little more, a little less guile, but maybe a little more directness and goal scoring. I just, I'm a little nervous that they're, that they're better than I thought. Cause I was kind of ready to dismiss them as a team that would be in the sixth, fifth or sixth range this season, but they, you know, they could be decent. Yeah, they could. Uh, whether or not the Tonali thing affects them, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Mm. Uh, last couple. Um, Srinath says, uh, considering Ramsdale will have to play against Brentford, I assume uh, he will have to play against Brentford, won't he, because of the league. Um, go on. Did you... <laughs> uh, can, can a club waive that restriction? I don't think so for the Premier League rules. I was told that he could have played in the League Cup game. They decided not to. Um that he could have been involved, but they put Hine on the bench and, and use Ramsdale. But for the Premier League, I'm pretty sure you can't even have written permission for loanies. Um, I could I be wrong, sense, but I'm pretty sure in the Premier League, you can't, but you could in the League Cup. Um, but the question is, considering Ramsdale will have to play against Brentford, do you think that Mikel will give him a small run? Now, we don't play Brentford until the 25th of November. So that's the first game after the next international break. Is there anything in that? I think there is. I mean, he could give him the home game against Burnley on November 11th. Um, but given that it's following an international break, it's kind of like, does it does it even matter? I mean, he, he might play for England during that international break. Maybe that'll keep him fresh. Um, you have Sevilla at home and you have uh, Burnley at home as the two games before that international break. And depending on our position in the Champions League, maybe he gives him Sevilla or maybe he gives him... Burnley, but I, I think it's a great shout. I don't know that I'd want Ramsdale coming in for the Brentford game, not having seen any action since August. So yeah, maybe. Yeah, potentially. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Last question. Uh, James says, we know who the better singer is. Sorry, Tom. Um, but who has the better flow, uh, says James. Well, of course, if you don't know, James is alluding to our karaoke in Chicago earlier this year. I didn't take part. I could have done. I hadn't mm. had enough lemon drops by that point to do that, sadly. Um, I think... I have no flow. I have. I am clearly the better singer. I think that goes without saying. Um, but I have no flow. So any flow you have has me mm. beat for sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, Do you have any yeah, flow? It's the Battle of the Nord VPN adverts, I guess. Um, mm. <laughs> if you haven't seen mine from this morning, I would recommend. I worked on that one. I really worked. On the Nord VPN one? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I already oh, want to. You, you don't want to challenge me to a live read-off, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll see yeah. that. They're getting free promotion because they're not they're not part of this show. But uh mm. certainly the morning shows, they uh, yeah, I've worked. I've worked on those ones, improving them a lot. Um yeah. but yeah, James, you'll have to be the judge for us on that one. But uh speaking hey. of flow, we're gonna segue very quickly into our outro. But thank you, Elliot, for your time. I very much appreciate it as always. Well, I'm there not this weekend, but next. We can hit the karaoke spots and and settle Ooh, this once and know, for all. Mike did. Mike's has contacted me to let me know that he wants Lucky to voice. do Upper something. Street. So Let's I'm concerned it. that karaoke may be in the pipeline. Um, it, it is yeah. 100% in the pipeline. 100%. Okay. <laughs> We're going to have to wait and see how that goes. I'm looking forward to it. Um, but thank you, everyone that's listened. But thank you, Elliot, uh, again. Tell people where they can find you and what you're going to be up to. Uh, yeah, so, well, uh, if you happen to be in the Midwest United States, there is a Midwest Gooner meetup this weekend um, in Minneapolis. Uh, we'll be there doing a live pod on Saturday right after the Chelsea match. We'll be there for the game and stuff, so you can do that. The weekend after, I'll be in London for the Sheffield United game, so we'd love to see people at the game and say hi, but also going to find a place to get some drinks that weekend, probably the Friday night, and uh, Clive and Tim will be around from our pod, so people have a chance to say hi to them. Um, obviously, listen to our podcast please <laughs> arsenal vision podcast uh which you can find on youtube or any fine podcasting platform and other than that just be well hope you're doing well and love you for listening to tom and occasionally listening to us if you do and for being a part of this absolutely um thank you everyone that has listened if you've dropped a like and subscribed on those youtube things we really appreciate that um please do go listen to the arsenal vision it's excellent if you want even more content you can sign up to their patreon where you get some fantastic additional uh, content as well so we did an ivan tony and pedro neto scouting video on the patreon just yesterday with clive so you can watch all the video and hear clive's uh, brilliant tactical insight on whether we should sign one or both of those gentlemen there you go. For me, it's Neto. Yes, Tony. No, is my conclusion. But Neto jumped off the screen. That's for sure. That it's easy to like the highlights. Tony, it's a little more mixed. But uh, mm. we're out at showtime. But there's there's a whole long ramble on that that you can listen to if you're interested. Absolutely. Oh, and shout, shout out to the carpet, carpet chat. chat. The only I'm podcast I am aware of to be born inside the Discord of another podcast. Wow. That is impressive. I know we've born quite a few podcasters from TGT regulars but going off and doing their own thing, but that's an impressive stat uh, of podcasting. Yeah. yeah. Discord born. Love it. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in and listening. Uh, we will see you again tomorrow morning, bright and early at 8 a.m., of course, for the next news show. Uh, and, of course, the preview show tomorrow uh, ahead of the game against Chelsea as well. We will speak to you again very soon. Have a great evening, day, morning, wherever you happen to be in the world. Stay safe and well. And, as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.